is this product maybe 10% better than the next company or is it literally creating a new industry? Like there's nothing else out there like that. Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day, they built for hours and hours but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast and newsletter came to help them find a way. Because of this, makers became founders and earn the money they deserve. Because of, because of this, founders can have growth, freedom, and wealth. Until tomorrow, no-code becomes the next big skill that changes the future of humanity. That's what I'm all about. Hello, my name is Abdulaziz, and from an ethical hacker to a European Ivy League business graduate to a hypnotherapist to a growth marketer, I've lost everything twice, and now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day, the no-code wealth Podcasts and newsletter are for the makers and founders who have the proactivity, perspective, and persistence to go on this journey with me and get from experts the answers about money, marketing, and mindsets so that makers become earners, earners become founders, and founders get freedom and create wealth. My guest today is a real freedom fighter in the entrepreneurial sense of the word. His name is uh, Jared Yellen, and from leading a movement of change makers to enabling early investment access to some of the most innovative companies in the world, from Indiana University to incubating incredible next generation companies at Sila Labs, from changing his life when he became a dad to becoming the founder, CEO, and president of five awesome companies Jared knows a thing or two about what it takes to succeed. And today, we will discuss his most favorite topic ever, freedom, how to create it, how to have more of it, how to fill your life with financial freedom, geographical freedom, time freedom, life freedom, freedom in every aspect. Because many of us aspire for more freedom, yet we're overwhelmed with all the roads that promise to get us there, but many don't. Jared will provide clarity. How are you today? Oh, I am absolutely wonderful, Abdulaziz. Thank you for this honor. I'm super excited to share with you and your audience. I'm an open book. Radical transparency is one of the highest codes in my life. So anything you want to know, please ask my friend and I will share. I love that. Radical transparency, such a powerful combination of words. And to ask you, every one of us begins life in a state that is less than what we wish to be at. And then something happens where we decide, okay, it's time to get serious. It's time to get things handled. How was that story or moment or experience in your life? So it's really a great question. Um, I say that my life really became clear for me when I turned 20. Um, when I was 20 years old, I was ref I, I, I had this realization. And the realization was, eventually, I'm going to be a dad. And I'm sure there's not many 20-year-old like 
young men that think that way, or maybe anyone really that's 20, but like definitely not young men. That's not a standard thing. And the reason I was even thinking that way um, was because I thought about my childhood and my parents went through a very intense divorce um, when I was young. I'm, I'm sure there was worse divorces than my parents, but theirs was rather trying. And if somebody were to ask me when I was 20, what's one word that would define your past, I would have said loud. And as I was thinking about the fact that eventually I would be a dad, I didn't want loud to be the word that my future children would use to define their past. So I started thinking to myself, well, what does it mean to be a dad? And the word that kept showing up for me um, was freedom. And it wasn't just, just any freedom. I wanted to like really dig into like what kind of freedom did I want? And it was time freedom and it was geographical freedom and it was health freedom and it was financial freedom and it was career freedom. And I was going deeper and deeper into what freedom meant. And then I questioned myself and I said, okay, cool. I know what I want. How will I get there? And the only path that I could see that would get me from where I was when I was 20 to where I am today, now at 36, that would allow me to have that level of freedom um, was entrepreneurship. So fast forward to today, 16 years later, um, I'm a dad. I have a beautiful four-year-old daughter named Taylee and a two-year-old little rock star son named Riker. And I have that freedom, time, geographical, financial, career, health. And it's 100% because I chose the path of entrepreneurship, and I'm happy to share what I learned in that path as well. But, but that was my moment, Abdul Aziz, was me thinking about my past, and there was people that have had far more difficult ch first chapters of their life than I, but mine was pretty trying. And I committed when I was 20 to not have that be my future for my future children. I love that story. As a child of divorce as well, but my father left and, you know, divorced my mom when I was still a baby. The one word that will describe it won't be loud, but absent. And to ask you, since I yearn for freedom more and more of it, and I believe that we entrepreneurs have this drive where we cannot live without freedom. In some ways, it makes us very bad corporate employees if we're, we have to be stuck in a space that is more confining to our creative side. And to ask you, you have worked with many entrepreneurs at Sila Labs and with your own process, but what is that one first step that most people need to take so that they get their first taste of freedom that will get them addicted and motivated to the, in the process? Because what happens in life, until we see some results, it's all theoretical and we don't really commit to a path as much as we should. So to you, what is usually that one step forward that begins showing the promise of complete freedom? So it's interesting that you pose that question. So I have been perpetually unemployable um, besides for a very, very short stint on Wall Street. Um, when I was 21, almost 22, um, I, I was working on Wall Street. I was there for less than six months. And the reason I left, there was many reasons, but the, 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 the final reason that I left was my quote unquote manager came to me one day and said that if I were to comb my hair to the right, I would look older and people would take me more seriously. And I said, I appreciate that, but I'm done. And I never showed up again. Um, because to me, if I can't 
do my hair the way I want to do my hair. And that's not even a freedom that I yearn for. That's something that I just expect. Um, I just knew that wasn't the right path for me. Um, but here's what the path is for anyone that's at a point of their life where they realize they don't have the amount of freedom that they ultimately desire. They want to explore what it looks like to be an entrepreneur. They have to first come up with an idea that pulls them and drives them and gets them to commit to something. And the most effective way that I have found to come up with an idea is to assess the inefficiencies that exist in your life. When you look at your life objectively, what's inefficient? Like, what about it? Like, what's redundant? What is consuming too much time and too much energy? What is something that if you could find a way to automate or eliminate or delegate, you would do it in a second. You'd even pay for it to be eliminated. That's how much you don't want it to exist. And figure out what that one inefficiency is that would make the most significant impact in your ability to create freedom and then productize it. And think about who else in the world would have a similar inefficiency. Because here's what I know is true. There's thousands and thousands of inefficiencies that exist. And the current situation with regard to COVID-19 has exponentially grown that. There's tens of thousands of inefficiencies. And each individual human has a number of inefficiencies that are holding them back from where they want to be. They could be inefficiencies around their health. It could be inefficiencies around project management in their business. It could be inefficiencies that are specific to their industry. It could be inefficiencies with regards to time management. It could be inefficiencies to social media or how they live stream their content. I mean, inefficiencies are everywhere. My challenge to you is pick one that's really impacting your quality of life and then begin to productize it. And what that actually means is write up a one to two page document for your eyes and your eyes only. So don't get romantic about this where you have to write it perfectly because you think somehow, some way, this is going to be published. It's not. It's for your eyes and your eyes only. And you begin to productize your inefficiency, the solution to your inefficiency. And as you write that one to two page document, I then ask you to take that next step and start boldly and audaciously talking about this solution as if it already exists and do it one-on-one -on -one and do it one-on-many -on -many until you feel yourself committed to making progress. Because I know many people that have done this exercise and then they sat on their solution for like years because no one ever knew about it except for them. They weren't held accountable to anyone but themselves, which is often not enough for people. So once you write up that one to two page document and then you boldly and audaciously start sharing it one-on-one -on -one or one-on-many, -on -many, it commits you to action. And then from there, I highly encourage that people that have a solution to an inefficiency within 30 days begin to bring that solution to life by launching a company, finding a co-founder, beginning to build a team, thinking outside the box, start getting creative with your go-to-market strategy and serving, but do something that creates meaningful progress with the goal of productizing the solution to your inefficiency, which becomes a limitless scale solution to the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or even millions of people that have that same inefficiency in their life as well. I love what you said, and it triggered so many ideas in my mind. One of it is that 
What people try to do, they try to do what is perfect and wait to be perfect and ready, not understanding that consistency is more important than intensity. So doing an idea and working on an idea that you feel passionate about will allow you to work for years, even if it's not the most ultimate perfect idea ever, rather than doing on something that is on paper perfect, but you inside your heart don't feel that connection and passion for it. And when you said, you talked about how people should look for inefficiencies and problems and friction in their life and productize that, that reminds me of a saying that what is personal is universal. We forget that we are humans sharing one human experience. What you have a problem with, probably other people in a similar situation feel that same pain, but even if they didn't, In statistics, there is something called fat tails, which is that when we look at the distribution curve, we imagine that the extremes are really, really tiny. But in reality, there is a small bump of a minimal viable market, as Seth Godin calls it, of people on the extremes. So even if you were to create something that is niched down super, super much, actually, there is a bump there of enough people since we're talking about an 8 billion worldwide market that will provide you with enough success for a lifetime. And I love that, that you said, if we only commit to ourselves, that won't get us to momentum or to traction. So it's about throwing your hat over the fence so that you have no choice but to climb over to the other side. And I know you have this process at SILA that helps people who have an idea, how to turn that idea into an MVP, and you support them so much throughout the process to make it almost like brain-dead easy and simple to do. Can you tell us about that, the work you do, some of the success stories and some of the examples you have? Yeah, I'd love to. So everything that I've ever done as an entrepreneur is built out of my own need and desire. There was something missing for me, and I was certain that that thing was missing for hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or even millions of people. So what I just shared for each of you to do is what I've always done. And I am a non-tech entrepreneur that has a ton of technical ideas. And that's often very frustrating because you can't bring your idea to life without the support of someone who's technical. And uh, nine years ago, from the time of this interview, um, I had an idea. And that idea was called Sinduit. And in the early days of Sinduit, I had to find a way to monetize my own skills, which is I can write marketing copy and I can sell. So that's what I did. I sold myself as a copywriter. I got two very, very high profile clients and they said to me, you know, if you make this work, you'll be set for life. And I said, well, guess what? I'll make it work and I'll be set for life, which I did. And I really saw outstanding results for them very quickly. And pretty much overnight, Sinduit um, became a very large agency. Uh, In 14 months, we went from two clients to uh, 400 active clients that were paying $5,000 or more a month. We had a big team, we had a big office. And from any standard, we were extraordinarily successful, except for mine, because I didn't enjoy what I was doing. 
it was just too clunky. Every single time we had a new client join, um, I had to go and hire somebody to manage that relationship. And one thing I stand against are businesses that have to scale through hiring. And I wanted to solve that. And the only way I could solve that was uh, by building a software solution. And the vision was to democratize the agency. What that means is make the marketing agency accessible to everyone. So instead of it being $5,000 or more a month, which most people can't afford as small business owners, I wanted to make it either $50 or less a month. So the vision was to build the first ever virtual marketing department, which would be a done-for-you marketing platform for every single industry. But I had no idea where to begin. Remember, I'm a non-tech entrepreneur with tech ideas. So I went out and I started interviewing different development companies. And uh, most of them were far from right. Uh, I finally found one that appeared to be right. And they gave me a quote of 10 months and $750,000 to build the minimum viable version of Synduit. And I said, let's do it. So I personally funded this. I wrote a check every month for $75,000 a month. And at the end of 10 months, they turned the product over to me and it was half of what we agreed on. And the final invoice, which should have been $75,000, was $1.5 million. And I contacted the CEO of the company and I said, what happened here? And he said, I'm just as surprised as you. This was mismanaged, but unfortunately it is what it is. And I said, okay, well, let's negotiate. And I negotiated to pay a little bit more. He accepted quite a bit less and then we went our separate ways. But the one thing I negotiated for that was very important for me was this one person on the team whose name is Mani. And uh, Mani, before working with me, uh, lived in India. And in 2011, he sold his company, which was a pretty large development company of about 100 or so employees, because he wanted to move to the States to create a better life for him and his wife, and they were going to have children soon. And when he moved to the States, he coincidentally moved to the end of the street where my original office used to be. So we were meant to work together. And in 2014, I offered him to become my CTO. And he did. And that's when we started to build our own tech team. Uh, we hired people in the US, in Canada. We hired 12 people in India that Mani personally knew. And those people were awesome. They were far better than the US and Canadian team and obviously at a better price point as well. But my challenge was I didn't believe I was giving them the quality of life that I desired. Because when you're a contractor in India, your income is often not recognized by most local banks, which makes it very challenging to get loans for houses or for cars. And even though we were paying people well, it would still be very difficult for them to buy a house for cash. And the only way to solve that was to set up a company that I would own, but it would reside in India. And that is very difficult to do as a US citizen. It took almost three years to get it done. And in 2018, we got it done. And that allowed Sindua to really scale because then we were able to hire the greatest talent. And today we have well over 40,000 um, active small business owners that use our software. And we are on a mission to serve 1 million small business owners. But a magical thing happened in 2020. And that magical thing was I personally became obsolete at the company. I believe this should be every entrepreneur's goal is to not be needed and instead to be wanted, and I was not only not needed, but I also wasn't wanted. The team wanted to run the show, and I was excited for them too, but I have a ton of energy and a lot of ideas, and I didn't want to retire at 36 years old. So I started thinking to myself, what's my next chapter look like? 
And what I realized was this very strong desire to launch 10,000 Synduits. So I called up Mani, my CTO, and I said, I have a new venture for us. If you're interested, I'm going to launch 10,000 Synduits. Are you in? And he's like, what does that even mean? And I said, I'm going to launch 10,000 tech companies and I'd like for you to join me. And he said, well, it sounds amazing, but like, what does that actually mean? And I said, we're going to launch a tech incubator where people come to us and they pitch us on their ideas. And what we do is we assess in four specific criteria, and there's a number of nuances within those criteria. But the four criteria are, first and foremost, the person. Do we like them? Do we trust them? Are they the right person to co-found this uh, company, this tech company with us? Assuming they are, the next thing we assess is their idea. Is this idea thought through? Is it solving an actual problem that has limitless scale potential? Assuming it does, the next thing we look at is the competition. Is this product maybe 10% better than the next company or is it literally creating a new industry? Like there's nothing else out there like that. And assuming it makes sense, we look at the fourth, which is go to market. How do we reach the market? And is it easy to reach the market? If everything checks out, what we do is we launch a new company with this person that came to us with an idea. Usually it's just an idea on paper. And we take a meaningful equity position. We do all of the development at cost. And that's India cost. So it's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. So we're making the process of going from idea to minimum viable product as inexpensive as you can find anywhere else in the world because we're not charging any margin. We don't make money that way. And our goal is to create the product, then innovate on the product, then launch the product, and then accelerate the product until there's some form of an exit within one to five years. So we opened up the portfolio um, in June of 2020. We've had over uh, 200 pitches since June of 2020, and we've said yes to 10% of them. So we have 20 uh, tech companies as we speak. We'll probably have another five or more um, before the end of 2020. Um, and these are large-scale tech opportunities, like limitless-scale platform, software as a service, product companies, like very, very unique companies. And the reason it works is because our values are 100% aligned. So I could talk about specific cases, but that is what Cedar Labs does. And that's the process by which we go through. I love that. I did my thesis actually about the investment criteria of venture capitalists. And according to them, I had many interviews with them that ideas are not as powerful or as important as the team that will implement. And what you're doing actually is you're being the team so that all the value and worth will be in the idea, whether it's like you said, it's opening a new green field rather than it, it's, you know, opportunity rather than improvement or whether the person is trustworthy. And all your four criteria make it focused on that you supply all those skills that normally should be done by the team and what you allow is for people who don't have access to a wonderful team to have access to you, to be backed by you in so many ways that will bring more ideas to life and will allow more companies to launch that wouldn't have the opportunity without your work. And I salute you for that. And 
I believe you have freedom right now, at least more than you ever expected, I hope. But So you're trying to launch 10,000 new tech startups. What is the value behind that? What, are you, what change are you trying to create to the world, not only to the individuals involved? What is so passion-inducing and drive-creating to you about what, the work you do at Sila? Yeah. So I believe there's 10,000 inefficiencies that prevent freedom for every person on the planet. That's, that's my thesis. And anyone can challenge it. That's totally cool. But that's my thesis is that there's 10,000 inefficiencies that impact every human on the planet. And by launching 10,000 tech companies that solve individual inefficiencies, we then create a possibility of freedom for every single person on the planet. And many of you might be like, well, as you are on your quest to create more freedom for others, you're going to eliminate freedom for yourself because how could one person uh, launch 10,000 tech companies? And what's really interesting about me is I, and this is not just a me thing, this is our entire organization. We have this process that we go through with every person on our team called Flamework. And what Flamework means is we get each person to recognize their flame and to delegate and or eliminate anything that represents their wax. So if you think about a candle, there's a candle that has wax and then on top there's a flame. So the flame is what creates the fire and the wax just like sits there and it waits to get burned. And most people that are entrepreneurs, they're in their wax 99% of the time and their flame 1% of the time. And that's why they eventually burn out. Whereas with myself and members of my team, we're 100% flame or at least 97% flame and then 3% wax. And we do that by firing ourselves. So for me, I only have four responsibilities at Sela, and these will always be my four responsibilities. So the first and foremost is I produce quite a bit of content. So podcasts like this, I, I welcome with open arms and, and a whole variety of other things as well, which creates quite a bit of press uh, for Sela and also for our portfolio companies as well. Uh, the next responsibility I have um, is our recruiting team. We've built an entire recruiting sales force um, in India um, because we hire at this point close to 15 to 20 people a week. And I'm sure within six months, we'll be hiring 100 people a week. And that requires some real strong salesmanship or saleswomanship um, on the phone with people that are looking for a better opportunity for their career. So I, I train our recruiting team very hard on how to deploy influence to get somebody to see what's possible when they say yes to joining Sila. And then the next two are intertwined. One of them is I have to create consistency around great ideas that become portfolio companies. So part of that happens through the content I produce and the different networks I belong to. And the second piece of that is financing. Um, right now, about 60% of the people that come with ideas, either they have no money or they don't have enough money to go from idea to minimum viable. And there's no less expensive way to do this than with us because we're not marking anything up. We are just doing everything at cost with radical transparency. So we're very, very honest 
on those costs. But some people just don't have the resources. They're not there yet, but they're the perfect co-founder. It's a great idea. The market is all blue ocean and we know how to get to the market. So what I was doing for quite some time, um, Abdulaziz, was I was asking them to go and raise the capital. And I would say, if you believe in this idea, like go knock on doors, ask friends, ask family. You just need to get a little bit and then we can get going and get this thing in motion. And they'd come back weeks later with empty hands. Like they weren't able to raise any money at all, but I get it. They have no track record. They have no network. They don't know how to pitch. They don't know how to structure deal. Like they don't know any of those things. And I thought to myself, we need to solve that for them because once we can solve financing, that means somebody can literally come with an idea and leave with a vision and not have to have a lot of money in order to get there. So I launched a entity called uh, Change Maker Ventures, which is an angel investor network uh, for accredited people who are mission-driven, so they want to make impact in the world, and they are interested in early-stage tech investing. And we have access to exclusive early-stage tech investing. So this network is now able to fund deals that they would never even know exist in the first place, but we know they exist because they're our portfolio companies, and we're able to reduce the risk on early stage tech investing to the lowest level that's ever happened before because there's no one taking more risk than Sela Labs. Let's pretend that it takes $100,000, so just pretend for math, $100,000 to go from idea to minimum viable product. Let's just pretend, right? That's the cost that we're paying a team in India. The fair market value of that $100,000 is probably a million dollars. So what we're launching as a minimum viable product is a million dollar tech product. So it's not like we're cutting corners, like it's a solid tech solution. So what we're doing is investing the other $900,000 by not getting paid for it. And we only win when the company wins, which means that anyone that invests in our angel investor network is 100% aligned with our values as well which is why this whole process works. We're always aligned with co-founder, with investors, and any other partners as well. I love how you're being a true entrepreneur where you see problems and then you find ways to create vehicles to fix them and all those uh, inefficiencies. Like you said, you are doing them in your own company to your own stakeholders. And I love that. It's a true inspiration and jared where can people find more about you where can they go to discover about the work you do to follow you how can people get in touch yeah so i would welcome and invite you to head over to my website it's jaredyellen.com j-a-r-e-d-y-e-l-l-i-n.com um, because all of my companies are listed there and it'll give you a chance to, to dig into everything that we're doing, learn more about Sela Labs. We are always open to ideas. So we have a process where you can complete a form. And then once you complete the form, our team then follows up with you. And eventually we might even talk on the phone. Um, if it seems like something that's really viable, that can create a win-win. It's also where you can go to learn more about Changemaker Ventures, which is our very unique um, angel investor network. If that's something that interests you and you're accredited, I highly encourage you to look into this. There is no better investment opportunity um, for accredited people 
than early stage technology. Just most people that are accredited don't find out about early stage technology. Whereas when you're in this network, you will. And that's very exciting. But jaredyellen.com is the place to go. I post um, an article every day. That's about a five to 15 minute read on everything from life, entrepreneurship, uh, business, scaling, being a dad, and every other topic in between, jaredyellen.com. I will definitely write the, this down in the description and all the ways that people can contact you. Jared, it was a true pleasure and one of the best interviews in terms of the substance and the mission that you're on and the substance that you bring. So I wish you a great day. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. You're a wonderful interviewer. My absolute honor. I hope that your community enjoyed this and uh, I'm eager and excited to see what we can co-create so that we can eliminate inefficiencies that are preventing people from having freedom. Thank you again. You're welcome. Thank you. And goodbye to the listener. Mm-hmm.